Now for your host, Mortem Christie and Dead Like Emily. Welcome to the Zomcast, episode 4 for December 14, 2006, A Very Zombie Christmas, part 2. This is Emily. And this is Christy. And since our normal hosts, Dustin and Patrick, made us watch a movie last week called The Stink of Flesh, we're getting back at them by taking over the show. Hey, 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 I had nothing to do with that movie. It was Dustin that rented that atrocity. Did I say you could speak? Don't make me bitch slap you. We need to shut up, or else I'm shutting this off and we're all going home. You can't tell we're all one happy, dysfunctional family during Christmas. Patrick, put the tape back on his mouth. Oh, he looks so cute tied up like that. Aww. Anyway, we have a great show for you tonight. There'll be no news, just stories. We'll have part two of Raphael Tayan's story, The Stench. We'll also have a story from our very own Patrick O'Deadly. That's me. And we'll be ending the show with a wonderful story by none other than the fried geek called Zombie Santa. So sit back with a cup of eggnog or a shot of whiskey and enjoy this Dustin and Patrickless show. It won't be as painful as the last one. But I have to read my story. I said shut up. Ow! <laughs> oh yeah, how about this? Punch him in the face! Kick him in the balls! <laughs> you had to pick a movie that really lived up to its name, didn't you? And then you fell asleep and left us watching it. <laughs> Out of the way, you two. Let me show you how this is done. Just in time for Christmas. Lock the doors and bar the windows. Yes, it's Carols of the Living Dead. From that crazy kid at Old Lord School, SJV presents a collection of Living Dead Christmas carols for the Zombophile. With great classics like Zombies Are Coming to Town. You better watch out, you better go behind, you better not shout, I'm telling you why. Zombies are coming to town. And who can forget this great classic? And this collection also includes songs like Horrid Zombie Land. This collection wouldn't be complete without the 12 Days of the Rise. Call now and you'll get this timeless classic. And for our friends down there in Hispania. Y para la raza esas pinches rolas. Cierren las puertas y las ventanas. Todos están corriendo y gritando. So what are you waiting for? Go to lordoldskull.com and download your copy of this precious book.
I think my nose is broken. No one cares. Here's part two of Raphael Tayen's story, The Stench. Raphael is a writer and a web designer out of Los Angeles. A link to his blog will be in his notes. The story is read by Sarah Finn of the podcast Does My Geek Look Big in This? We had a lot of compliments on the first part of this story, and people told us that they couldn't wait for the second part. So without further ado, part two of The Stench. She rolled shakily to her feet, still dazed, and for a brief instant she thought the fall was making her hallucinate, for there were forms in the cellar, casting great looming shadows along the whitewashed stone walls and the low ceiling, bobbing and flickering in the light from the exterminated fallen torch. She blinked and clutched her forehead as blood trickled forth into her eyes and thrust out her hand to keep from tripping over. Through her blurry vision she could still see forms, human forms, and she blinked trying to bring them into focus. But her vision was knocked askew, and the blood trickling into her eyes made her swimming vision even more obscured. And then the exterminator's torch went out, and she was plunged into thick darkness. Her heart thudded in her ears, the dizziness welling up and making her lose her equilibrium. She somehow found her voice. Are you there? Hello, you okay? There was a kind of whimpering groan. And then she slowly began to make out scuffling sounds, like the sounds of someone moving, slowly and confusedly, or the sounds of someone's. They were coming from all around her, disorientating her even more. She had no sense of direction, no reference point. The cellar was utterly dark, without even the light from the door above, which must have closed behind her to penetrate the black. Panic welled up inside her as the scuffling grew more deliberate, more deafening all about her. "'For God's sake!' she screamed. "'Answer me! Where are you?' Something brushed against her arm and she leapt back. Then something brushed against her other arm, gentle as a moth's wing. "'Answer me! Answer me! Answer!' Then there was a moan in her left ear, and something touched her arm stronger this time, cold and alien. She screamed, a great frantic, insensate scream, and she flung her arm out wildly into the darkness, connecting with some hulking form, and then she was scrabbling back, up and over the crates, and then she was falling into something, something wooden, with a great crack that sent stars dancing across her vision. She groped with her hands, desperately trying to make sense of where she was, and her fingers fell across something familiar, a latch, a latch to a door, but a light door, a thin door, like a latch to a cupboard. She had fallen into an armoire or a coat closet or... It didn't matter what it was. She kicked out as the things in the darkness groped at her legs, wildly casting them back, and then she was pulling the door closed, locking herself in the closet, locking herself in and the forms out. They were scratching at the outside of the door, fumbling mindlessly to get in, to get at her. Her conscious mind was dimly aware that she might be screaming, but she couldn't be sure... She tried to turn those screens into pleas for help, but she wasn't sure she managed it. Then through the din of the scuttling and scuffling she heard something sane, a voice calling to her from somewhere beyond, and then she heard shouting and scuffling and more shouting. The sound of a real human voice gave her power over her tongue. Help me! Help me! she shouted, at least trying to draw whoever was out there to where she was hiding. There was a bash from outside and a grunt, and then the door to the armoire was thrown open so violently that Steph could hear wood splinter, and a torch was shone blindingly in her eyes. Steph! Jesus Christ, Steph! 
She sobbed with relief as Matt pulled her bodily from the armoire and then shoved her towards the staircase. Go, go! They're coming through some kind of old tunnel or something down here. Go! He shouldered one of the looming forms aside and then shoved her again harder towards the staircase. The torch was flashing about wildly and she only caught glimpses of them, enough to see that they were people, but people with the grey flesh of corpses, the bloodshot vacant eyes of the dead. It was all she needed to see. She clambered up the steep staircase, pushing past one of the incoherent dazed forms, mapped hot on her heels, and burst through the cellar door, through to daylight and freedom. Or so she thought. She skidded to a halt in dismay as from all around her, more of the walking dead turned and began to converge, surrounding her. No. Matt pushed past her, holding a garden spade. From where he'd gotten it, she'd got no idea. The stairs, Steph, behind you! He swung savagely at one of them, crushing its skull in. It stuttered confusedly and tipped over. Steph, now, the stairs! Still bewildered, her thoughts disordered by terror, she turned and looked up the staircase, rising up behind her. Grabbing the banister rail, she hauled herself up and swung herself over onto the steps. Two of the walking dead had already started up the stairs behind her, and she kicked out desperately, crushing the closest one's nose. It lost its balance and tipped backwards into the other. Matt leapt and grabbed the rail, but stalled as his bulk pulled him down. Steph frantically grabbed at his arms, trying to hoist him up. Below him, the walking dead converged around his dangling legs, groping at him. Steph watched in horror as one, a woman, or the remains of what had once been a woman, buried its teeth into Matt's calf. He let out a great rending cry of agony as blood poured from the bite, and he flailed madly trying to dislodge their grips on his legs. With one desperate pull, Steph hauled Matt up onto the banister, and he toppled down onto the stairs, knocking her against the stairwell wall in the process. Writing herself, she looked down and saw that four of the undead were already stumbling up the stairs after them. Matt righted himself on the step, clutching his bleeding leg, and he shouted at her through gritted teeth, Move, damn it! Go! She grabbed one of his arms and pulled him to his feet, trying to drag him bodily up the stairs. The four walking dead were pouring at his legs. He shrugged out of her grip. Go! I'm right behind you! Get on the roof! Go! Steph turned and ran for the bedroom. Hearing Matt struggling along behind her, the master suite had a casement window which looked down onto the back garden. It was to this she was running, but as she stepped into the room she heard Matt somewhere behind her let out the most horrific scream of agony. She whipped around, expecting him to be right behind her in the hall, but Matt was nowhere to be seen. Desperately she retraced her steps back and round the corner to the stair landing and collided straight into a whole tangled knot of the living dead at the top of the stairs. Her foot stepped in something wet and slippery, and she went down hard onto the wood floor, the air ripped from her lungs. Gasping desperately for air, she rolled over onto her side, only dimly aware of the writhing grey bodies around her, wrangling and thrashing mindlessly to pull themselves back to their feet. But she didn't have eyes for them. Her attention was riveted to the half-eaten, blood-drenched body of Matt lying right beside her his dead eyes staring into hers in an expression of agonised surprise. Before she could cry out or weep or deny, her attention was pulled back to her own present dilemma by a pair of hands which had fastened themselves on her right ankle. As the hand's owner opened its mouth hungrily, she knew then that she was next. Without conscious thought, she pulled her free foot back and buried it as hard as she could in the face of the creature, which grunted in confusion 
as its nose and jaw shattered under the blow. It loosened its grip on her ankle, enough for her to tear herself free, and then she was scrabbling away, on all fours, slipping in the blood, the window in the master suite the only tangible object on which her mind could fix. Somehow she managed to find her feet in time to make the last fifteen feet to the window in great lunging strides, as the undead creatures finally untangled themselves at the head of the stairs and began their pursuit. The window was a casement, with a large Victorian clasp holding it shut. Steph turned it and pulled, and nothing happened. Rattling it, she tried again and again, and still it wouldn't give. The grunts and shuffling of her pursuers grew louder behind her as they neared the door to the suite. Open, goddammit, open, she screamed, but it was no good. A small part of her mind made the note to sue the surveyor for failing to note the stuck window during the sale. Steph whipped around as two of the animated dead stumbled past the door into the room. Sobbing, she looked for something to break the glass, but there was nothing to hand, nothing that the walking dead weren't blocking. Then she saw it on the nightstand, her mobile phone. She dove, grabbed the phone up into her hand, and threw herself into the closet, pulling the louvered bifold doors shut behind her. Struggling to keep her hands from shaking, she dialed the direct line to Tim at his office. Come on, come on, she shouted as the line began to ring. There was a crash against the louvered doors as one of the living dead stumbled against it and began to pour at the door, stupidly trying to pull it aside. The line was still ringing. Steph's heart was heaving and she was on the verge of losing her sense to panic as more hands joined in the attempt to wrench the louvered doors aside. The slats of the louvers began to splint slowly under the crushing weight. Get away from me! Hello? Tim's voice suddenly came from the phone. Tim, Tim, for God's sake, help me! And that was all she could say, for suddenly an arm came crashing through the door, shattering the paltry little wooden slats. Steph screamed, dropped the phone, a hand searching in the closet for something, anything, with which to defend herself. But the closet was empty, her personal possessions still for the most part in boxes. She was trapped, and she'd run out of options. There were too many of them pressing against the doors for her to push past, and she had no recourse within the closet. For a horrible instant, she suddenly knew that she was going to die, horribly and painfully. Then the smoke rolled in, and the acrid smell of fire, and the sound of flames, and then the shattering of glass, and a great din of chaos, of shouting and horror, and then gunfire, great long drum rolls of gunfire, and Steph seemed to grow numb and lose her senses, her ability to make sense of the rush of colours and shapes, or the increasingly abstract sounds. Then there was a bright light as the closet doors were flung aside and she was being pulled up and carried by someone and she was dimly aware that the jostling was painful to her and then the pain faded altogether and the colours and the sounds and then everything was black. It was the fire, you see. One of them started it and one of the neighbours saw the smoke and alerted the fire department. Steph leaned forward into her seat. Her elbows propped on her knees and rubbed her face tiredly. Thank God for the fire, if it hadn't been started. She shivered, unwilling to complete that train of thought. Tim breathed out slowly as he gripped the steering wheel. The windscreen wipers made a whoosh-whoosh as they sloughed the rain off the windscreen. Then abruptly he laughed. Zombies in Tufnell Park, who'd have thought? I mean, Camden Town, maybe. They turned off the motorway, and after a short drive on small roads pulled into an old listed inn called the Prince of Rogues. They visited it before, and it was the first place Tim had suggested as a sanctuary for Steph until she recovered from her ordeal. Steph took a long, long, hot shower. 
letting the water beat down her back. Every time she closed her eyes, the horror of the day relived itself, but she was so exhausted she couldn't help it. Yet surprisingly, sleep would not come that night. As she lay in bed listening to the rain on the roof, she gradually became aware of a faint but persistent noise emanating from the dark. It sounded like wheezing or an asthmatic driving to take short, quick breaths. Tim, is that you? Tim didn't answer, apparently still asleep, but the sound was growing more insistent and louder. Tim, are you okay? She rolled over. Tim was lying on his back with his eyes open, staring up at the ceiling. Steph frowned, a hollowness growing in the pit of her stomach. She lay her hands on his shoulder gently. Tim, what is it? Very slowly, Tim turned to look at her, and his gaze made her blood freeze and her heart stop. It was the look of the dead, of eyes without fire in them, set into the grey flesh of a corpse. Tim's mouth flopped open, and an animalistic muted groan escaped. And then before she could even blink, even think, he clamped his teeth down hard on her outstretched arm and bit deeply. The blood sprayed forth like a broken drinking fountain, and through the agony of pain, before she lost all ability to think ever again, she realised that she had not left the horrors behind in Tufnell Park at all. Now quite the opposite, she brought them here with her. And the horror had only just begun. Okay, guys, roll to hit the vampire gazebo. Uh, you hit. Hey, guys, what are you doing? Role-playing? Oh, no, it's that guy. Uh, no, we're not doing anything. We're just, uh, watching TV. Aw, that's too bad, because I brought along my new gaming girlfriend. Hello, boys. Mind if I max out on charisma? Whoa! Hey, did you get that hot gaming girlfriend from listening to Gamer the Podcasting? Yeah, of course! Game of the Podcasting does not actually get you a hot gamer girlfriend. What it actually does is give you useful advice on tabletop role-playing, live-action role-playing, and all other forms of role-playing games. Sometimes we talk about other games. We can do whatever we want. It's our own podcast. Visit us on the web at www.gameofthepodcasting.com. And now we have a story by our very own Patrick O'Deadly. Patrick is a nobody. I just met him. Uh, he got duped into co-hosting the Zomcast here with my husband, and he... Here's a lame story by him. Hope you're amused. Well, at least it's going to be better than that runaway hit, Stink of Flesh. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> Man, I love that movie. What are you talking about? Zombie sex and everything. Gee, thanks, Christy, um, for the intro to my story. So we're going to go ahead and begin. The rattling of the door handle seemed to only grow more frantic as Tim rocked back and forth, whispering, It's okay. It's okay. He hadn't seen the news for so many days. He had just lost his job and didn't even own a television. His life had no connection with the outside world save when he went to the store. The only oddities before this morning he noticed were the bare shelves and frantic shoppers. It was nearly Christmas, so that seemed pretty normal at the time. No friends had called to inform him of what was happening. He didn't even get a call from his family. And only just as this thought crossed his mind did he realize that they could all be dead. Oh, God, he thought. Please don't let them be dead. 
Tears began to pour from his eyes as his mind had shifted back to reality, and the truth that was just outside his closet door demanded to be recognized. Tim slowly stood, pushing aside the jackets and forgotten sweaters of winter's past. He knew this was not the time to break down and give up. He had to make sure those he loved were safe, or at least find out what might have happened to them. The door shook in its frame, jarring Tim from his thoughts. The scratching sounds were even more frantic than just a moment ago. He knew he didn't have much time. He tried to scan the dark closet for something to use as a weapon. He could find nothing save ugly clothes and an old decaying boombox he secretly kept as a memento for m more lonely years. He was at a loss. He was even more frightened than before he decided to become courageous. However, a loud cracking noise jolted him into action before he had time to debate which was the better weapon. Hoisting the boombox above his head, he leaned back and kicked the closet door. He expected to fly off its hinges like it always does in the movies. In actuality, the door haphazardly swung open because the lower hinge was still attached. Damn, he thought to himself, as he had always wanted to be a badass fighter. But there wasn't enough time to berate himself. From having watched so many horror movies with his friends, he knew there was only one way to get out of this situation alive. Kill the motherfuckers before they can kill you. He started out swinging wildly at the people huddled in his small living room apartment. The strong arcs that he threw the boombox in only succeeded in shoving two of them away from him. They then easily tripped to the floor. Suddenly he came face to face with his first aggressor from this morning. He had been eating cereal at his tiny kitchen table when he heard someone knocking and what sounded like scratching at his front door. Tim was really pissed at this intrusion. It wasn't because it was early, mind you. It was simply because he didn't like salesmen. Tim stalked to the door to tell the man on the other side to fuck off. When he was met by someone who looked severely injured, Tim actually gasped he was so put off by his, this man's wounds. Before Tim could apologize for his social faux pas, the man lunged at him. He would never admit this to someone else, but he actually screamed a bit. Although the man clawed at Tim, he was able to easily deter his attacker with a simple shove. He must be drunk, Tim thought. The salesman lurched back to his feet and threw himself mouth agape at Tim. Tim nimbly leaped to his side and tripped over his stool and crashed to the floor. Even as he was getting his bearings, having hit his head on the corner of his television, the bloody man latched onto his left arm and tried to bite his fingers. He yanked his arm away as best he could and felt justified when he kicked the guy in the face. Tim was beginning to realize what was wrong with this moment. This man was an asshole and had gotten his ass kicked earlier that day and was crazed about having another fight. Well, Tim thought, he has fucked with the wrong guy. Jumping to his feet, Tim was ready for the fight. He had taken Taekwondo for years, and he was just caught off guard earlier with the salesman lunging at him through his open door. Now this guy was going to get his ass kicked. Tim even tried to get the fight started on his own terms by egging the guy on. He looked down at the pathetic attempts this guy was making trying to grab Tim's ankles and yelled, Come on, bitch! Stand up and fight like a bitch, you bitch! Tim quickly realized that he had used too many bitches in his eagerness for the fight. He would remember the next time to use asshole. Finally, the salesman got to his feet and lunged again at Tim. Easily dodging the grapple, Tim quickly leaned in close to the guy's left arm and grabbed his wrist while applying pressure to his elbow and shoved the attacker to the ground. Tim enjoyed rubbing his face into the carpet. However, the salesman wasn't giving up easily. Tim had never done this before, but thought that this was the only way to get him to stop coming at him. Wincing at the thought, Tim applied quick pressure to the elbow and heard it snap. He quickly backed away, not wanting to be anywhere near a broken arm. To Tim's amazement, the salesman still stood up with his left arm flopping at his side. 
The action possessed him before the idea completely formed in his mind. Timus plunged into the darkness as he threw himself into his closet. However, this time, as Tim stood before his foe, he was thinking a bit more clearly and knew he had to kill him. He knew he had to cause severe trauma to the head. Like a man possessed, Tim brought the boom box down on the salesman's head with a sickening thud. There was only a broken body lying on the floor where once stood Tim's destiny. Or so he liked to tell people. Without a moment lost on the thrill of his first kill, he quickly went to dispatching the others. Luckily for Tim, there were only two others. Now, with confidence instilled in himself, Tim was able to dodge around one and quickly snap its neck without feeling much guilt, his queasiness notwithstanding. The other proved a bit more craftier for him, so Tim had to rely on his trusty boombox for the third kill of the day. Having done what had to be done, Tim quietly walked over to his fridge, popped open a cold beer, and sat down. He needed to think about what he had to do to get to those he loved, and to truly savor his acceptance of his great destiny as Tim the Zombie Killer. bothered others. No, why? Did you think you were the only one with body parts falling off? Well, yeah. Afraid to post your picture online because you're worried that people might not be able to look past your hideous wounds? Hey, you're trying to say something. Ever thought you were the only one obsessed with zombies? Well, no, not really. I... Well, you're in luck. Because there's a place you can go. At least online, that is. That's right, we're talking about zombiefriends.com. I hadn't thought of that. A place where you can be your old rotten self. Oh, well, that's awesome. A place to be when you're not out shambling among the living. So log on and visit zombiefriends.com. Do it now. I think I might. Now, if they ask about those bruises, you remember you tell them you fell down those stairs. Okay. <coughs> oh, we're back. And it's getting to be the end of the show. We hope you all have a great happy haul, whatever you celebrate. Fuck it, Christmas there. I've said it. And we want to thank the following podcasts for mentioning us. Does My Geek Look Big in This? Gamer the Podcast. Lipstick Aliens. Into the Black. All Games Considered. And The Fried Geek. Speaking of The Fried Geek, we're going to end with a story he wrote called Zombie Santa, which he was kind enough to record for us. We added a bit of holiday music to the end. Fried Geek has a podcast where he talks about geek news and topics like the latest software and hardware, as well as games, politics, and whatever else that he is geeking out about that week. He also talks about his experiences of being a geek dad. A link to his website will be in the notes. We'd also like to thank Raphael Tayen, Sarah Finn, Dan Davis, our Patrick O'Deadly, Fried Geek, and the Zoncast Singers, if you want to call them that. And we'll be back sometime in January when Dustin recovers from his beating. This is Dead Like Emily. And this is Mortem Christie. Patrick O'Deadly. Dustin the Dead. Merry whatever and Happy New Year. What are you saying? Oh, ow. Now here's the fried geek story. Zombie Santa. Fuck, that hurt. Can I have a drink? No. Mm. No. No.
The hair on the back of Randy's neck would have stood up had they not been impeded by the sticky sweat and grime of the last week. The impression still reached his brain. Behind you. He spun around, almost too quickly, his pack flopping wildly, almost losing his balance. The sight that shambled towards him was so odd that the barrel of his sawed-off drooped as his shock-addled mind took it in. The garish color of the clothing struck him first. He had become used to seeing the filthy clothes of the zombies, caked with dried blood and gore, coats torn in places to show the horror beneath. There had even been that old naked guy two days ago, who came at him foaming red from the mouth and nose. But this was something new. He, it, had a pronounced twist to its stance as it moved, its right side seeming to struggle with some burden. The left arm was intact, but the hand it held out, clutched at the air that separated it from Randy, was dark, blood tinging the white, fluffy cup of the sleeve. The right arm and leg were ravaged, the red velvet of his left pant leg showing a calf that looked oddly clean compared to the rest of the creature. Its head gleamed with a dark slickness, the fake white beard stained and spattered red where it seemed to clutch at the thing's neck. Randy saw what it was pulling at its right side. A large candy-striped bag had its tasseled drawstring tangled around him at his right hip. Brightly wrapped boxes with ribbons filled the obscenely cheerful sack. Randy shook his head slightly and unconsciously mumbled. Santa? Santa gurgled and sputtered. The sound woke Randy from his daze with a blink. The sawdust found its mark and roared, the sound loud in the smooth hallway. The white beard flipped up wildly, and Santa fell back on his sack of toys and didn't stir. After a moment, Randy glanced quickly up and down the hall, and then back to the body in the fuzzy red suit. Merry fucking Christmas, 